Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. Thank you, Rob Hatch. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everyone that's watching us online right now, or that will be watching us this week, if you go back and listen to this message. Um, but today, we're going to be talking about Jesus, which is a great subject. It's the greatest subject we could ever talk about. But specifically, we're going to be talking about the Jesus of Revelation, the Jesus as revealed in this glorious book that we have called the book of Revelation. It's at the end of your Bible. It's right before that concordance that may be there. It's right before all the maps. And it's the last message that Jesus gave to his church that would be considered the standard, the canon, the, the standardized word of God, written word of God here in our Bibles. Um, and what we find in this incredible book is that Jesus reveals himself in three primary ways. Not the only ways, but three primary ways. He reveals himself as a bridegroom. He reveals himself as a king. And he reveals himself as a judge. Those three things. Bridegroom, king, and judge. So on, a, on Thursday nights, I've begun a series on the book of Revelation, eight parts. We've done two already, so I invite you to come out to that. And in our prayer sets throughout the week, that first hour of all of our prayer sets, we're meditating on Revelation 19. So I'm not um, going to be going, I'm not going to be doing an overview of the book of Revelation today. What my heart is, what my point is, is to highlight how Jesus reveals himself in this book, specifically as bridegroom, king, and judge. So, we may, you may be asking yourself, why do I need to know Jesus in this way? He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He's fully God, fully man. All very important truths of Christianity. But why bridegroom and king and judge? Why this Jesus of revelation? Well, why is this, well, before I answer that, uh, why is this important for me, but why is it important for the church? See, because the book of Revelation was written for the churches, plural, to be sent across the nations. Um, but why do I need to know Jesus in this way? Really, the main reason is John 17, verse 3. Jesus is praying to the Father, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ. And he prays in that same chapter to the Father that his people would be with him where he is, and they would behold his glory the glory that the Father gave him because he loved him before the foundation of the world. So this invitation to know Jesus, the Jesus of Revelation, as bridegroom, king, and judge, is an invitation into that John 17, 24 prayer to be with him where he is and to behold his glory. And a lot of our songs that we sang this morning were unveiling the beauty and the majesty of Jesus as a bridegroom, king, and judge. But why specifically bridegroom, king, and judge? A bridegroom, because it gives us confidence 
in his love and affections for us as his bride. A king, because a revelation of Jesus is the victorious king, it empowers us to overcome present and future challenges that we will face. As a judge, because it prepares us to stand confidently before Jesus, who is the righteous judge when he returns. So, today, we will talk about this Jesus of Revelation. We're going to talk about how he reveals himself, particularly in this book, but also throughout the scriptures as bridegroom, king, and judge. What it means for us practically, how we relate to him, as we consider these facets of his nature. And then finally, how practically to get to know him in this way. Sound good? Let's open up to Revelation 19. Really easy to find. Start from the back. (laughs) and Make your way backward. Three chapters from the very end. Revelation 19. It will be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open that up and look at it with your own eyes. We're going to read verse 6 of Revelation 19, and then we're going to skip down to verse 11 and go through uh, verse 16. Revelation 19, verse 6, says this. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Move down to verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, John says, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire. His head are many diadems. And his, he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. I want to point us actually as well to verse 7. We'll look quickly if that is right in the middle of this. He says, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride, his wife, has made herself ready. So this is the Jesus of Revelation, fully unveiled as a bridegroom who's preparing his bride for the marriage supper of the lamb as a king It's written on his side. He's coming to rule the nations. And as a judge who in righteousness judges and wages war. So we look at this, this Jesus of Revelation. And for some of us, it might be quite a shock that this is Jesus. It might be something that causes us to fall out of our chair. 
You know, in Revelation chapter 117, John sees Jesus, almost these exact same descriptions of Jesus are open up the book of Revelation in chapter 1. And John the Apostle, who leaned on the chest of Jesus, who reclined next to him at the Last Supper, sees this man unveiled in his glory and falls over as a dead man. And we've, we've in, in, and in the book of Revelation, Jesus, he has to touch John and strengthen him and say, John, this is me. This is Jesus, the first and the last, the firstborn from the dead. And Jesus is telling his church today, this Revelation 19 God is Jesus. It's me, he's saying. And you must, you must, as my people know me in this way. You know, Tracy last week shared a, a, a very striking dream that she had about a week ago where she is in the scene. She is walking in this scene, in the, in the scene of Revelation 4 and 5, and she sees this Jesus with eyes of fire. She talked about in her message last week, if you'd like to go back and listen to it, and, and the Lord was highlighting this Revelation 117 where John falls over as a dead man, and Jesus said to her, I'm not who you think I am. And church, Jesus is, is telling us today, come and know me as I've revealed myself. And this Jesus of Revelation, it's our inheritance to know him in this way. Amen? So, I'm not going to break down this passage verse by verse, but I'm going to start taking us in a journey throughout the scriptures, again, on how he reveals himself in this way, what it means in terms of how we relate to him, and then how practically we can get to know him in this way. So the first thing I want to mention about Jesus as bridegroom, king, and judge is this is not the only place in the Bible he reveals himself in this way. The Old Testament reveals him very clearly in this way. We read through the Psalms. David had a revelation of Jesus as bridegroom, king, and judge. You read and you sing these songs, and David is... Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord reigns. He reigns across the nations. All nations will bow before him. He will reward the righteous. He will punish the wicked as a judge. In Psalm 45, that this is the king in whom he delights to sing. He is like the, he has the pen of a ready writer, and he is singing of this glorious bridegroom king that's going to marry his bride. Psalm 45. It's all throughout the Psalms. Isaiah, Hosea, they've got a revelation of Jesus as bridegroom, king, and judge. And so this is nothing new. But Jesus himself reveals himself as bridegroom, king, and judge in the Gospels. And I'm not, we're not going to open there, but I'm just going to mention a few key passages that are really important. Because Again, we see Revelation 19. Some of us are shocked. We're falling over like, is this really Jesus who's striking the nations with the sword out of his mouth? I mean, that seems mean. It's not mean, it's righteous. Because in righteousness, he judges and makes war. But he reveals himself in the Gospels. In the Gospel of Matthew... Chapter 22, 1 to 14, Jesus gives this parable of the wedding banquet. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who is preparing a wedding for his son. And we see a few other striking features of this parable that Jesus gave, red letters. 
We see the king. We see a wedding feast. We see him sending out messengers to invite people to this wedding feast. But we see people who received the invitation but were unwilling and who even began to kill the servants that were inviting them. And the king, it says in this parable, was furious and commanded those murderers to be put to death. We see Jesus, we see as a king, that the father is a king who's handing this kingdom over to his son in Matthew 22. That he's a bridegroom that, is, that, is, that the wedding feast is being prepared and, that, and, and, and he's about to enter into the deepest level of union with his people for all of eternity. And we see a judge who is furious. We see God's judgments being expressed to those who persecuted his messengers. And on this same day, in this same chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, telling his people what the greatest commandment is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think it's any accident that Jesus gave this parable on the same day that he gave the first and great commandment. A revelation of Jesus as bridegroom, king, and judge, as is revealed in Matthew 22, empowers his people to walk out the first and great commandment to love him. In his final message to his apostles before he is handed over to be crucified, he is at the temple. And he reveals himself as a bridegroom, king, and judge. Matthew 25. In that day, it will be like a bridegroom. (laughs) And there will be ten virgins, five who are wise, who got extra oil to wait for the bridegroom who is coming, and five who are foolish, who had no oil in their lamps. And a voice crying out in midnight, Behold, the bridegroom is coming! We see him as a king who sat on his throne of glory and separated the sheep and the goat nations on his right and on his left. And we see the judge that said to those on his right, come with me into everlasting life and everlasting joy, the kingdom of my father. And to those on his right, depart from me into everlasting punishment and shame. These are the words of Jesus in the Gospels. Bridegroom, king, and judge. And then we come to Revelation, chapters 1, 2, and 3. He's giving us seven messages to seven churches. And I went over that last Thursday. It's on Facebook Live, on my Facebook. If you want to look at that, I give a quick overview of it. But as bridegroom, king, and judge, he is... He started with a call to the church in Ephesus to wholehearted love. Your doctrine is good. You've kept out false teaching. You've kept out false apostles. But this one thing I have against you, you've forsaken your first love. Repent. Do what you did at first. He warned them of judgments in Revelation 2 and 3 if they continued in immorality. 
We're going to hit some verses on there in a minute. A striking, oh, maybe shocking revelation of Jesus right there in the book of Revelation. But it's the same Jesus of Matthew 22 and Matthew 25. And then a promise to overcomers that they would rule and reign with him for eternity. Revelation 2 and 3. And then finally, Revelation 19, as we just read, and all the way to the very end, chapter 22, we see the word revealing Jesus, the Lamb, as a bridegroom, king, and a judge. Let us rejoice, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Are we getting ready, church? Are we getting ready to meet our king? We've got to know him in this way if we're going to be ready to meet him in this way. We see the king, king of kings, lord and lords, and we see the judge who in righteousness judges and makes war. The very last two chapters of Revelation, John sees the new Jerusalem as a bride descending down out of heaven from God. In Revelation twenty-two seventeen, the spirit and the bride saying, come. Come, Lord Jesus. So, that's how he reveals himself throughout the word of God. But how do we relate to him as bridegroom, king, and judge? What does that mean for my personal life? What does that mean for the church? What does that mean for my prayer life, my daily life, everything? How do I relate to him in that way? What does this reveal about his nature? Well, first, as a bridegroom, what does that mean? He's, he's passionate. He's a passionate bridegroom. And what this doesn't mean, we'll start with that, what it doesn't mean is that Jesus is our boyfriend. We're not sitting at Jesus' feet and twirling his hair because he's Jesus, the boyfriend God. <laughs> you know, you know, I love, I love like songs of intimacy. I mean, John the Apostle, who like got to be right there with Jesus, lean his head right there with Jesus as he was in John 17, as he was giving his last prayer right before he's handed over to be crucified. Like, I love stuff, and I love songs that convey that, of, of our heart being moved by God. Um, I love the song of songs. I love teaching on the song of songs. Um, but I'm not praying and singing song of songs, one, one, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, because I'm imagining a big smack on the lips from Jesus. I'm, I'm, what I'm praying is that the fire of his word would ignite my heart and empower me to walk out wholehearted love and obedience. That's what I mean. May he kiss me. May he inflame my heart with passionate love and obedience. That's what I mean when I sing Song of Songs 1. Jesus is not your boyfriend. He's God. Okay? He's a bridegroom. He's the one that delights in relating to us and partnering with his people. He delights in us. That's what it means that he's a bridegroom. He delights in us. He has affection for us. He has, he has true emotions for us in our heart. And he delights in us and enjoys us even in our weakness and immaturity. That's really good news. I mean, you know, we're... For the most part, we're trying to like stumble along, just like hoping we've got it right most days. Amen? And it's just maybe not all of you, so, <laughs> but maybe you're like, I've got it, you know? Awesome. Um, stay with it. But I mean, it's just like, 
We start getting confronted with our weaknesses and our failures and things start coming and people start pointing out things. We're like, oh, I have so much growth to do. But Jesus saying, don't worry, I'm a passionate bridegroom. I enjoy you. I delight in you and your weakness. Your weak yes moves my heart. Oh, and that empowers us to keep moving. Song of Songs 115, the first chapter of Song of Songs, which ultimately is about the bridegroom and his bride, the church. He's saying, how beautiful you are, my darling. The beginning of the journey, the beginning of your onset of the journey with God. He's saying, I delight in you. Let's look at Isaiah 62, 4 to 5 on your screen. This is a very important prophecy about God and the people of God. Isaiah 62, verse 4 says, You shall be called Hephzibah, for the Lord delights in you. Skipping a few lines here. Verse 5, And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. He's calling us Hephzibah, which means the Lord delights in you. He's saying, my people, I enjoy you. I delight in you. I've made a covenant with you. I've washed you and cleansed you with the blood of my son. And so I see you and I look at you and I say, I've forgiven your sins and I can enjoy relating to you right now. How many of you know it's a lot easier to enjoy a relationship when there's forgiveness on both parts? Not that we forgive God or that we need that He needs our forgiveness, but we've but He has forgiven us and it gives us confidence to come near Him and know that He delights in us. That's what it means that He's that He's a bridegroom God. It secondly, it means that He's committed to leading our hearts to making us holy and to strengthening us to mature in love. Ephesians 5, 25, which we'll have on the screen. Paul is talking about marriage, and he relates it to the relationship between Christ and his church, who is his bride. He says, husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Jesus is committed to us. He's given his own life for us. But not only what he did at the cross is something we look at, it's something presently that he's cleansed us and washing us with that water of the word. He's speaking over our hearts. He's saying, this is who you are to me. This is what I've called you to do. And he even is going to bring in some rebuke and correction, not because he's mean, but because he loves us and wants us to walk in this fullness of our identity as the bride. Bright and clean, holy, spotless, and blameless when he returns. And finally, that empowers us to completely surrender our lives to him in wholehearted love and obedience. Psalm 45, verse 10. This is a song about the king, the bridegroom king, as he marries his bride. And it says in verse 10 of Psalm 45, we can get that on the screen. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Verse 11. Then the king will desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Bow down to him. So he's saying, listen. Listen, O daughter. It's time to join yourself fully to the king. 
And when we get a revelation of him as bridegroom, we see his majesty, we see his love, and we see that he desires our beauty, we can relate to him as Lord much more easily. We can walk in that first great commandment to love him with all of our heart because we get a revelation that he is the bridegroom God who loves us with all of his heart. Amen. That's bridegroom. Well, what about king? How do we relate to him as a king? And what does this, what does this mean for us? Um, well, first of all, it means Jesus as the sovereign king is that he is revealed as the one who possesses all power and who anoints his people with power. Revelation 5, verse 7 to 10. We see Jesus, the king. We can get that on the screen. Revelation 5, verse 7. And he came, this is Jesus, the lamb. He came and took the book out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. Verse 8. We'll keep moving with those slides. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign on the earth. So we see in Revelation 5, this Jesus, who they said was the Lion of Judah, the root and the offspring of David, the one who would inherit the nations. All nations would bow down to this man. And it says he's worthy of them because he redeemed them to God by his blood. So it, it, it tells us that he is the king, that he's worthy of our obedience because he's bought us with his blood, that he reigns over the nations as the Lion of Judah, and that he empowers us as kings and priests to reign with him on the earth. Tracy did a series this summer really highlighting this revelation of Jesus as a king and a priest, and our identity in him as kings and priests to our God. Revelation 15, verse 2. says, I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast, it's the Antichrist, he's a bad guy, victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, this is in heaven, a big sapphire sea before the throne of God, holding harps of God, verse 3, and they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Verse 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. For the righteous, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So we see right here, these ones that had vic victory over the beast and over his image, they had a revelation of Jesus as the king. And when we have a revelation of Jesus as our victorious king, it empowers us to overcome the devil, <laughs> both now and in the future. Because I tell you, in Revelation, the, 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 the temperature is hot. 
The persecution is intense. And the pressure to deny Jesus is unbelievably strong. But even now, we relate to this now with the pressures of life, the pressures that Jesus outlines in Revelation 2 and 3 to the seven churches. Those are very real things that the church faces today, that you and I face today. But he's the victorious king. And David had this in the Psalms, and all of his enemies were against him. It seemed like the whole world was against him. He says, but the Lord God reigns. And he will fight for me, and he upholds me with his righteous right hand. Jesus the King upholds us when the pressure intensifies, when the challenges increase, when the temperature is hot. All nations will come and bow before this man. When we get a revelation of him as King, it demands our obedience. All will bow and confess him as Lord. Finally, the righteous judge. What does this mean? How do we relate to Jesus as a righteous judge? First of all, it means he disciplines his people. That's you and I. And he rebukes and chastens those whom he loves. We're going to fly through some verses of Revelation that are going to be on your screen. Revelation 2. 20 to 23. This is to a church. He says, but I have this against you. So he's affirmed the church. They're growing in faith, works, and love. But he says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, but she teaches and leads my bondservants into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. She teaches and leads them, claiming a prophetic anointing that she's heard from God that's giving my people license to be put in sexual bondage and demon worship. And Jesus says this in verse 21, I gave her time to repent. He gave even Jezebel a time to repent because he loves her. But she didn't want to. Repent of her immorality. Verse 22. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. Verse 23. And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you, church, according to your deeds. This is intense. Is this really Jesus? Is this the one we sing about loves me and gave his life for me? Is this the one who said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but would have eternal life? Yes. Same Jesus. Same God. I'm going to skip our next verse because it's a very similar rebuke he gives to the church in Laodicea for lukewarmness. So we're going to go to Revelation 3.20. So my media team is the next scripture verse, not uh, Revelation verse 3, chapter 20 to 22. What else does it mean that he's a righteous judge? It means that he rewards those who respond rightly to this, re- this correction. He rebukes Laodicea for being lukewarm, says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Ah, that's mean. That can't be Jesus. It's Jesus. 
And he says, but I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. Verse 21. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the Jesus. He's, so even though he rebukes and corrects his people, he's rebuking and chastening those whom he loves. And he's inviting us to, to dine with him, to rule and reign with him forever. So if you feel like God's rebuking you and correcting you, it's not because he's mean. It's because he's saying, I, and it, it may shock you. You may fall over as a dead man. You may be like, <laughs> God, <laughs> why did you say that? That hurt my feelings. <laughs> and he says, because I rebuke and chasten those whom I love. And do you want to stay in this condition for the rest of your life? Or do you want to rule and reign with me for eternity? Come on, church. This is our destiny. This is what he has predestined us to. What else does this mean that he is a righteous judge? It means that he rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked in eternity. Revelation 20, verse 11 and 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence the earth and the heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Verse 15. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Verse 15. Do we have that up there? And I saw the... There we are. Awesome. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is intense. Is this the same Jesus of the Gospels? Is this the same God is good, God, that's preached from our pulpits? Yes. Same Jesus, same God. Bridegroom who loves us, king who rules and who empowers us, and a judge who disciplines, who corrects us, and who rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked, both now and in eternity. It's the same God. And you know, something else we see in this book of Revelation, particularly, is that Jesus is zealously, powerfully, and intensely confronting evil and wickedness and judging the Antichrist and his empire. He is coming to dash the nations with a rod of iron, it says in this book. And he is casting the Antichrist, the false prophet, and that dragon into the lake of fire for eternity. And we've got to understand his judgments. Because, friends, as these things begin to unfold, as we see God's judgment released in the earth, we've got to be anchored in the revelation of who Jesus is, or we'll be, we'll be those walking around in confusion and fear. And that's not the heart of Jesus for us. He's not trying to scare you with this book. He's trying to anchor you. Because the storm is coming. And you and I may not live to see this, but there are storms, there are shaking of the nations that is the beginning of the birth pangs. When we see wars and terrorism and economic crisis and plague start hitting the nations, perhaps even our own nation, Jesus wants us to be anchored, to know who he is, that he is a bridegroom who loves us, that he is a king who gives us victory 
and empowers us to overcome. And he is a judge that will discipline, that will correct us, that will reward us, that will punish the wicked. We've got to know him in these ways. There is no contradiction about Jesus when we look at these facets of his nature, bridegroom, king, and judge. It's one reality. So, we need all three of these. We've got to have a whole view of Jesus. Again, Jesus reveals himself in other ways in this book and throughout the scriptures, but these are really primary ones. And this is what I think God is calling storehouse to right now. He's inviting us to know him in this way, but he's inviting his whole church to do this. And I think we as storehouse, we, are, we want to respond to this invitation. And we, in the prayer sets and in intercession and through the preaching of the word, we're declaring to the church, church, you are the bride. He is the bridegroom. Church, you are kings and priests. He is the king. And church, you are those who will rule and reign with him and be judged in eternity according to your deeds because he is the righteous judge. We're making a trumpet blast to the church from this pulpit today. Listen, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. If we, and we've got to have all three. We're a little imbalanced if we lack. If we only know him as bridegroom, we've got this over-sentimental, Jesus is my boyfriend type of reality. So sentimentality without actual obedience or, or a love without power. A love of God without the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. Hebrews chapter 10 says that we, that we may serve him in holy reverence and fear. New Testament calls us to love and to fear the Lord. If we only know him as a king who's powerful and victorious, um, it, 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 but not as a bridegroom, we, 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 have this, we might have this view of him that, he's, that it's all about growing in power and anointing in our ministry. That it's all about the promises of God. And we start, we seek the hand of God, which is important, but we don't seek the face of God. It's a bridegroom that loves us and delights in us. We don't have this reality as a judge who's not only looking to anoint us with power as kings and priests, but saying, your actions matter. I want to help you. <laughs> I want to help you walk out holiness and righteousness and love. But it's not just about growing your ministry, doing the signs and wonders, and just saying Jesus reigns over the nations. It is that, but it's not just that. If we only look at him as a judge and not as a bridegroom, as a, as, as, as a king who's a bridegroom king, we, we have this tendency to overemphasize his harshness, his severity. And I mean, I've met so many wounded in the church who have grown up with God is just ready to make you sick, to make you poor, and to kill your family because you're not walking perfect before God. I'm serious, guys. This is what people grow up believing. And they start getting a revelation of this bridegroom God who delights in them in their weakness. You mean I don't have to have it all together before God loves me? No, you don't. While we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. How much more now that we have been saved from our sin and from his wrath? So, last thing, and I'm going to close us in prayer and give us a few practical ways to walk this out. Knowing Jesus and bridegroom, king, and judge, it shows us the goodness and the severity 
of God our Father. He's both. He is a good Father that we can approach with confidence and boldness. But He is severe. (laughs) And He will rebuke and chasten those whom He loves. And He will reward the righteous and punish the wicked in eternity. When we don't know Jesus in this way, much of the book of Revelation, many passages of the Gospels, Matthew 22, Matthew 25, and, and virtually our entire Old Testament becomes unintelligible. We look at this and we're like, this is, is this Jesus? Is this the same God? I mean, you read the Old Testament? You read Judges and Joshua? And I'm just like, this is intense. Why is God doing these things? And it's important that we wrestle out these, these questions. God, why does this seem so harsh? Why does this seem so severe? We, we wrestle those out, but we also say, God, show me your goodness and your severity. Help me understand you in both ways. Because when we don't understand the goodness and the severity of God, we divorce not only our Old and New Testament from one another, we divorce the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And we say, this is a different God. I tell you, it's the same God. The God who created the heavens and the earth, who led Israel out of captivity from Egypt, who gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai, who judged his people Israel when they were breaking his commands and worshiping false gods. This is the same God who sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the womb of a virgin named Miriam. That that son may die on the cross and rise from the dead, and ascend into heaven, and pour out his spirit, and adopt us as sons, and join us to himself as his bride. It's the same God. And we've got to know him in this way. So, how practically can I get to know Jesus in this way? Three quick things, and we'll pray. First of all, we ask him to reveal himself to us in this way. Jesus, show me who you are. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, show me who you are. We search it out in the scriptures. Secondly, how practically can I get to know Jesus as bridegroom, king, and judge? Come to our prayer sets. We are meditating for the first hour of all of our prayer sets on Revelation 19. Right here. We just read it today. And finally, come to our Thursday night Revelation series. If you can't make it, tune in online. But do everything you can to make it because I want to interact with you. I want you. I want to hear your questions. I want to hear you say, what? Why is this so intense? Why is this so severe? Where is the love of God in this? I want to help speak to those things because he is the loving God. He is the powerful king and he is the righteous judge. Let's stand. If you want to know Jesus in this way, I just want to invite you to just open up your hands in this receiving mode. We're going to ask him to show us who he is, his bridegroom, king, and judge. And we're going to let the Holy Spirit begin to mark our hearts with this revelation of Jesus Christ, bridegroom, king, and judge. Let's pray.